The Athletic. It's Lindsay here. Just as producer Sophie was about to hit publish on this episode of the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, transfer king David Ornstein came through with a corker and we had to include it. So the Athletic can exclusively reveal that Arsenal have made a world record bid for Manchester United's Alessia Russo. I've got the Athletic's Charlotte Harper on with me to talk about this breaking news. Charlotte, we'll start with you at the top of the show then. Did you see this coming, first of all? Yes and no. We know that uh, Russo and United have been in contract negotiations since before the Euros. She rejected their offer uh, and we knew that uh, the club and the player hadn't come to an agreement regarding a new contract, uh, considering that uh, her current contract is due to expire in the summer. But the fact that it's a world record bid and Arsenal are the ones to make it, is somewhat of a surprise, especially as she'll be a free agent in the summer. Therefore, clubs don't have to pay a transfer fee for her. But it shows Arsenal's intent and they're serious. (laughs) They're not messing around here. To put that into perspective, Kira Walsh's move to Barcelona from Man City last summer cost £400,000 and was a world record at the time. So we're looking north of £400,000 for a player that, as you say, in a few months would be available for a free. It feels like in women's football, we're suddenly playing money ball because what a risk. I'm sure from United's point of view, they are chasing Champions League football for the first time. Arsenal, does this help them guarantee a real run at the title to try and get past Chelsea for, for once? I mean, it's such risk, though, associated with this in terms of the expenditure, but also what Russo actually will deliver in these few months. It's a big risk for United. They want to keep their best players because they want to secure that Champions League spot. We know that Russo, Erps and Onabatier are all out of contract. So for them to sell a player uh, and be quite short-sighted just for a transfer fee and risk not getting Champions League, you are playing with fire there. Jonas Edeval knew that he wanted a striker and a prolific goal scorer in addition to the signings already made, and that was a priority uh, for them. And I suppose Arsenal have really shown United that they value Russo and they appreciate her talent, which from my understanding, Ruto not necessarily felt considering that United haven't come to terms or a a contract negotiation yet with Ruto. See, that's interesting that you say that because my interpretation of the not being a contract already signed at United was more from Ruso and her agent's point of view of, are they going to be in Europe or not? We'll wait and see. And if they are, then we might be willing to to stay put. But the way that you put it actually is, is that they could table an offer that would be too good for her to resist. Let's come on to the Arsenal side of things because it would be a huge amount of money just for a few months. And Jonas Eideval spoken about the fact that sometimes he finds it difficult to get deals over the line. People don't want to sell necessarily to Arsenal within WSL. Is that part of it? He's trying to get this done because in the summer, if lots of clubs swarm and she still hasn't signed a contract, then the likelihood is she may even end up at somewhere like Lyon. It's worth saying that Russo has... Uh, no word in this in this January transfer. It's really between Arsenal and Manchester United. So even if Russo did want to leave, hypothetically, then it's Manchester United's choice. Regarding selling to another club, Arsenal are a big rival for Manchester United. They're competing for the same things, the title and Champions League. So from Manchester United's perspective, why would you sell your best goalscorer to Arsenal? You're one of For a your world biggest rivals. Fee and then reinvest the money. I, th- I think that's what some people might might be thinking, but it's a, a difficult conundrum. I know that Arsenal have had Russo on their watch list previously. 
So this is a player that it isn't a new punt. They have monitored her before. You know, we've seen in the men's game, Chelsea hijacked that Mudrick deal. Could they now come in and think, well, if she's for sale, we've got the money. We'll we'll put even more down. Never say never. Uh, <laughs> I would think that was that would be extremely unlikely, especially considering you know they have a out and out goal scorer in in Sam Kerr. Stina Blackstenius hasn't quite offered. I don't think what Arsenal wanted in terms of the number of goals. And of course, we know that Miedemarin is uh, out with her ACL injury as well as Beth Mead. But um, it's transfer deadline day. So who knows what can happen in the next 28 hours, Lindsay? Wow. Honestly, we're going to have to keep across this one so much that is uh, jumping out the page about this deal both ways. I mean, whichever way it happens, whether she stays or she goes, there is just going to be so much more for us to talk about. Thank you, Charlotte, for jumping on. My pleasure, Lindsay. There will be more to come from this news story, as Charlotte says. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed to The Athletic. You can get all the latest there. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to The Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, Everton can't score for Toffee. Tottenham spurred on to round five. And next gen... Hi, it's Lindsay Hooper here with former Tottenham captain Jenna Scalacci. It was time we got the Spurs point of view. Uh, Hello, Jenna. Hello, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Also, I'm joined by a freelance writer who covers women's football for the likes of the iNewspaper, World Soccer. He's been on the scene for some time. I remember, Glenn, uh, early conversations. Uh, Glenn Moore is here. Hello. Hi, Lindsay. Great to have you on. I love FA Cup weekend generally, but just to do the show right after that, it's lovely because you always get these different stories. And the one I want to hone in on, especially because we've got Jenna who used to play, so we can get hers in a moment. But the shirt swap, did everybody see this? Leeds' Amy Woodruff managed to get her icon shirt from Leah Williamson after losing 9-0 to the Gunners. (laughs) Uh, If you go back on Amy's feed, she talks about Leah a lot. So it's really funny because you know that she just absolutely idolises her. And then you see the shirt swap at the end. It's been doing the rounds. If you've not seen it, get on social media. And it made me think, Jenna, who was it that you were absolutely desperate to get their shirt? And whose did you get? Well, this is going to sound really, really boring now, actually. And I thought long and hard about it. I was like, shall I just be honest? Actually, when I was playing, it really wasn't a thing. Like, we never swapped shirts. If you swapped shirts, it was probably the reality was you'd have to go and buy your own one for the next weekend. Oh, dear. (laughs) But, um, yes, I mean, I played against some great players who I wish I had the ball. I look back now and regret it. wish I'd asked for their shirts. But it's only really recently come into the women's game, the the shirt swapping. But um, I followed that story, and I think it's amazing. I think the video footage at the end of them on the pitch, it just kind of sums up what the FA Cup is about, you know, Leah Williamson's gone out of her way to, you know, give the shirt and it's just a really special moment. So, yeah, I mean, if I had my chance again, I'd be swapping my shirts with everyone. Whose was it you would have liked then? I did, I played against Lucy Bronze once and I think that's oh, one I'll always kick myself about. Oh, <laughs> it's actually okay. mar- I was actually marking her the whole game. It was, it was horrific. But, um, yeah, I wish I'd have asked her for a shirt, but. We have seen so much positive change. However, it doesn't stop us asking more questions, demanding more. And this brings me on nicely to saying that we we saw several of the FA Cup games were streaming online, but also there were some games that were just impossible to watch. You couldn't get a, a viewing copy anywhere. One of our listeners, Luke, asked us why there's such a lack of coverage of the early rounds of the cup competitions. What can be done about it? Glenn, is this one area that we can distinctly improve? It is. I mean, though there were quite a lot of one-sided games that probably aren't the best ever for the sport or, or that interesting to watch. I mean, but ideally there would be more. It was disappointing. This is the first match of the entire competition on TV. I mean, we're so used now to every match being on TV. I went to um, the Arsenal men's game against Wimbledon a couple of years ago in the Carabao Cup, and it was an almost unique game in that there was no television coverage anywhere, even on illegal feed, mm-hmm. and people were streaming it off their phones and getting thousands of people following it. <laughs> <laughs> We're not, we're, we're not advocating that, everybody. No, certainly not. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, obviously, I, grew, I, I come from a generation where football and television wasn't actually that common and it wasn't that unusual to only have a few games on TV. And it's, but a new generation is expecting to see games on TV. 
it may be partly about facilities at some grounds, but more likely it's about cost, but it's also about will. Mm. We're used to seeing all the WSL games now, and while expecting all the 16 ties to be live is unrealistic, I mean, that doesn't happen in the men's game either. You'd have thought we could have some more live ties from the round, and certainly a goals package. It'll come. Yeah, it just take longer than the league coverage. Yeah, maybe the goals package is where it's at because the FA player have done such a good job of housing all the WSL matches. So if Mm. there's one that's not on TV, you know you've got a feed to be able to watch it. Jenna, did that frustrate you when you were playing and these early cup rounds not being able to see much of the opposition? Because also it works for you guys as well as prep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously the prep and pre-match is a massive part of the game now. So yeah, when you did come up against those lesser teams where there weren't that much footage and you couldn't watch them playing, it it did pose a problem. But I think now we're seeing like yesterday for myself as well, obviously Tottenham is on the iPlayer, so I was happy. But then I was ready for some more and there was no there was no more games that I could watch. So yeah, I think mm. it's definitely just highlights again just where we are and, and how far we still got to go. We do know that there are some influential figures that listen to this show. So hopefully we can drum that message home and get more of these questions in. Um, Thank you to you, Luke, for getting in touch. Uh, Let us know any other questions. You can use our new Twitter hashtag, AthleticWFP. For women's football podcast, that's the breakdown there. Athletic WFP, and that's Athletic WFP, and we will get more of your questions into the shows each week. But first, to the biggest FA Cup upset of the weekend. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Lindsay Hooper. Yeah, let's start at Everton, Birmingham. Everton may be fifth in the WSL table, but they were knocked out of the FA Cup by Birmingham, who were relegated from the WSL last season. Earlier on, I caught up with Jade Pennock, who scored the winning goal in that 1-0 victory. Jade, great to have you on the show. And uh, it's always nice to speak to a goal scorer fresh from an FA Cup weekend. What was that like for you scoring against Everton? Obviously, scoring in the FA Cup is always magic. Um, And playing against a team that are in the league above, you always sort of want to prove yourself. So, yeah, it was uh, uh, really good to score against them and especially to get the win. And in terms of the game as a whole, I think most people who just have a flick and look at the scoreline will think, oh, that was a cup upset. But actually, it was a really tight game, wasn't it? Everton hit the post twice. There were quite a few big chances. So did that make it even more nervy for you and all of you on the pitch? Uh, We'd worked hard in training this week, sort of building up to the game and focusing on what we wanted to do to make sure we limited Everton's chances. And then when we got a chance to make sure we took it, so I think for us, like we really showed our game plan and we were really happy with that after the game. But obviously during the game, the last couple of minutes, you you do start to get a little bit a little bit nervous. Um, but I knew that we would hold off and get the win in the end. Did you feel like they were a very different Everton team to the one that you played previously when you were in WSL? Uh, yeah, I think obviously they've got a new manager. So that plays a big part in that. And you can sort of see what they're trying to do. They want to be a a ball-playing team. So, yeah, I think they've changed from last year and they showed in spells why they're successful in the WSL this year. Did it also just reaffirm for you guys that the gap between WSL and the top of the championship isn't that great? You know, you you still, if you get promoted, have got a lot to give. Yeah, I think we knew that from last year too, towards the end of the season. We knew we weren't a team that should have got relegated. I think maybe we just ran out of games. So we we always knew we could compete with the top teams. Uh, and I think if we were to get promoted, we would continue to compete with the teams up there in the WSL. How has it been adjusting to championship life? What would you say your takeaways are? It's a very competitive league, the championship. And I think we knew that coming into it. No team in there is going to run away with the league. I think everybody can beat everyone. So for us... Uh, We're going from being in the WSL and probably not having a lot of the ball and being an out-of-possession team to come into the championship and we are seeing ourselves have a lot of the ball. Um, And I think for us, it's just focusing on what we can do with the ball and try and be more effective with that. 
you are fifth at the moment in the table. But as you say, you know, it is so tight in the championship that you're not far off the top. Certainly still in with the shout of getting promoted this season. However, when you look through the history books, there is quite a trend of teams taking a couple of seasons. Can you understand that? Is that partly because of the what you were just talking about, ad- adapting playing styles? Yeah, I think so. It is It is a big change and we found it not tough, but we found it difficult to adapt immediately. And I think it does take time. But this season, I think it's probably one of the most competitive seasons in the championship. So it is going to be tough to get promoted for any team that are up there. But I think it's going to be tight right up until the end. On social media this week, Jade, we fielded for a few questions from listeners. And one of our listeners, Matthew, asked us to discuss about whether there should be more promotion and relegation spots. I'm sure there's so many implications with this question because it's also feasibility, but is it something you'd like to see? Yeah, definitely. I think, well, every league in the women's game could do with growing, adding a couple of teams into each league. And for us in the championship, it is hard to be only fighting for one promotion spot. So I think just even to up it to two would make a massive difference. And I'm guessing WSL is the the main aim that you want to get back into that. Have you seen, because obviously when we were covering you guys in WSL last season, there were so many questions raised about the infrastructure and also the investment at Birmingham. Have you seen any differences this season? Yeah, definitely. I think once carts came into the building last season, we saw lots of changes around, around the training ground and just around the club in general uh, and I know he wants to drive that and he will continue to drive that so whether that's in the championship or WSL I do think the club's going up in the right direction. What is it that you would love to see if you could wave a magic wand and just have an extra facility or an extra bit of support in an area what is it that you would like to see straight away? I think probably just access to probably a better pitch well not a better pitch but a pitch that we can train on all weather-wise, because I think we do struggle at the minute, you know, while it's bad weather, to mm. be able to to train on uh, pitches throughout the year. We mentioned this in the show, actually, about weather and the impact that it has. So that, that pitch debate is ripe at the moment, Jade. I'm sure you've seen that as well. So that's a good one to mention. We'll try and um, and push that forward for you on your behalf as well. But all the best with the rest of the season and all the best in the next round as well. Is there anyone that you'd like to get? Well, I know that draws later. For me, I always like to come up against the big teams. So if we can draw one of the WSL teams, I'd be happy with that. I'm going to be keeping an eye out later on. It's um, later on this evening that we'll find out. So good luck. Thank you. Birmingham City's Jade Pennock speaking to me earlier. Were either of you surprised by this one? Because I think probably the last thing I said about Everton that left my lips was how they'd been slowly going about their business and people hadn't been paying too much attention. So Jenna, was it one that you thought, wow, I, was, I didn't see that one coming? Yeah, I think I, I have to agree with you. I think Everton have been in fine form of late. You know, they've had a, a, a great last couple of weeks in, in the league domestically. And I think they would have expected to come out, probably not comfortably, but you would expect Everton, given how, how informed they are, to beat Birmingham and get in the hat. But I think, it, again, it's it's the FA Cup, isn't it? And we see it happen time and time again. I think Birmingham go in as the underdogs. There's no pressure on them. And to be fair, their, their, their keeper had an absolute weldy, the Birmingham keeper, and it just didn't feel like it was going to be Everton's day. And, you know, credit to Birmingham. They've, they've caused the upset of the, of the round. So, yeah, I, I was surprised. But, again, when I used when I was playing for Tottenham, we often were the underdogs. And that's when you, 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 you kind of find your form and there's no pressure. You go out and, you, and you're free and often you'd cause an upset. So, yeah, um, I am surprised, but it doesn't shock me wholly. Yeah, I mean, Everton hit the post a couple of times, apparently. So, I mean, but you need a bit of luck in the cup sometimes to get, get a result. In the other upset of the weekend, Cardiff City, who are topping their league in Tier 4, they beat third-tier Burnley 4-1. They're now the lowest-ranked team left in the competition. Championship leaders London City Lionesses were also hoping for a giant killing. They faced a Spurs side uh, with five straight league defeats, and we will come on to that now. Neville's made the run. Nicely done. Iwabuchi. Deflection and in. Mana Iwabuchi's first goal for Tottenham. 
And right on the stroke of half-time, Tottenham double their advantage against the women's championship leaders. The BBC might have chosen to show this game expecting an upset. It wasn't to be, Jenna. So you must have been smiling from ear to ear with this one. Five goals. It was emphatic when at Brisbane Road in the end with a first Spurs goal for Mana Iwabuchi. What did you make of her performance in this to start with? Yeah, I mean, she's she's fantastic. She's such a, a fantastic player. And I think her coming to Tottenham as well as Beth England, I think, you know, there were talks about Bethlehem coming, but I don't. I didn't think that would be enough because you know it. The problem that Tottenham have had, they are starved of goals, but also the service to the front line was also a problem. But what we see with Imabuchi is she's a player that can, you know, she's comfortable on the ball. She keeps possession so so well, and she she helps the team progress through the thirds, which has been a big big problem for Tottenham probably earlier on this season, and the fact that. They might get the ball into midfield, but then there's there's no creativity, there's no end product, which we've seen, you know, given the 8-0 thumping of Brighton, they'd only scored really three goals in open play prior to that. So I think she she's a fantastic sign and, you know, she's way too good of a, she's world-class, she should not be sitting on a bench. But I think the last two games that I've watched Tottenham, so it's Conti Cup against Chelsea and obviously yesterday, they look a lot more of a complete team. They seem to have a lot more direction. They've played some really good passages of play. And in the final third, they've created a lot. And then in, in Beth England, you've got a player who she doesn't need a lot of chances to score. I think when you saw her on her debut against Villa, she had one one chance the whole game and, and she buried it. And that's exactly what you need. But then you do need that service. And I think having Ibucci in the midfield, it, you know, she's creative, she's technical and she just keeps the ball. She calms the team around her down. So, yeah, I think it's a fantastic signing. Glenn, 5-0 isn't very flattering on London City Lionesses. They lost their manager, though, didn't they, in the week? Melissa Phillips. She's becoming the assistant coach of NWSL side Angel City, which meant that the assistant, Nikita Runnicles, was in the dugout for this one. That will have played a part, won't it? It will have disrupted some of their preparations. Yes, it will. I mean, it's not like one of those situations whereby a team's been losing and there's a manager changing. You often get that new manager bounce uh, when people are looking to... I don't know, maybe a bit relieved or they're looking to impress a new manager or something. But this is a different situation where a team been winning and they've lost their manager. So you've got a bit more uncertainty about how things are going to happen and who's going to come in and who's going to take over. So it's not the ideal preparation for a game that's going to be live on BBC. You know, when you're playing against, say, WSL a team, clearly. It obviously didn't work out for them as well. Now they basically have to get back to the league and and readjust and try and settle them, the, who's going to be manager as quickly as possible. Because clearly, I mean, um, it's, it's a very tight race act for promotion from the Championship this year. There's no, no one really got away. I mean, even even Birmingham, we talked about, I mean, they're only, they're fifth, but only five points adrift and they still got the other, the top the four teams above them at home. Well, that brings me on as well to the gulf between some of the teams. We do, as a country, love a cup upset. Are we going to see less and less in the women's side because of the golfing competition, in your opinions? Uh, it depends how you define an upset. I mean, quite a few of the championship sides of the last few years have been either professional or semi-pro. And the gap between those sides and the ones at the lower end of WSL isn't going to be that big. I mean, but, you know, clearly, I mean, if you've got Sheffield United who are having a difficult season this year going to Manchester City, I mean, that would be a hell of an upset if they'd have won there and obviously they lost 7-0. It was interesting. Look at the WSL teams. Most of the top sides put out strong sides. I mean, they rested one or two players, but it wasn't like a whole raft of reserves and youngsters. Uh, they put out strong sides. They, they were quite keen to make sure they went went for and won. But at the moment, though, clearly, yeah, I mean, we come on to talent development later on. But as you get a greater pool of players coming through, there will be more talent filtering through the, the, the layers. Uh, clearly, at the moment, there is only so many decent players and most of them at the top end. Uh, you can read Charlotte Harper's interview with a player from London City, also plays for Republic of Ireland. Uh, the player Lily Ag is on the Athletic website right now. It's part of a new project, the Journey to the Cup, where the Athletic follows six players in the build-up to the World Cup this summer. The latest one is with West Ham and France player Howard Sissoko. So you can take a listen to that and uh, get a taste. That's not easy to be a professional player. And other people can just do whatever they want with you, and you you're, you're not you don't you can't even answer like you know. If we speak about again again about the Aston Villa game, receiving a lot of messages messages that people abusing you, and if you answer to one, you're going to be wrong. But them, 
they have the license and they're free to do to say whatever they want. And that's the kind of thing that I don't want to be part of it. Like I'm just, I prefer to be someone and work at McDonald's and but be happy and no one is abusing me than being abused but can't even defend myself. That's the worst thing. And I'm just because I play football, so I have to like be quiet and say nothing. Even when I was in PSG, I was in PSG for five years, and I went to Marseille. And Marseille is the big like the big rivalry between like it's like playing for Manchester City and go to United or play for uh, West Ham and go to Tottenham, you know. And the PSG fans they were like really really not happy about me doing this. And when I played there, play against PSG. They were like really, really rude, and you just have to accept it. Like for me, that's no. That's a big no. Like why, why I have to accept? And the thing is, at the end of the game, like the uh, PSG won, but the girls, the players, didn't want to celebrate the the victory with the the fans because for for them there was it was too disrespect. And I received some messages, some messages from the fans to say, oh, because of you, we didn't have the 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 celebration with the players. I said nothing. They just see that the way, like you were really, really disrespect with me. They didn't accept it, and they see. And they was just after this, I was just keeping receiving a lot of messages, and that's the worst thing for me. I'm like, I've done nothing. It's my career. I do whatever I want. If I want to leave PSG and go somewhere else, I go. You're not the one giving me the money and put food in my plate. I'm not going to stay at PSG or go some somewhere else just to make you, just to please you. And that, that's the kind of thing that we, we are not object. Okay, we're professional athletes here, yeah? but we're still human. How is Sissoko speaking to the athletic Charlotte Harper? At the weekend, Sissoko's West Ham won 2-0 against Wolves. In fact, Wolves left-back Katie Johnson wrote a diary as well in the build-up to the game, which you can read on the athletic website. Uh, some of the other matches as well. Luckily, there were no repeat of hashtag frozen pitch gate. Uh, we had enough of that last week. Uh, Chelsea beat Liverpool 3-2. With a hat trick. But now know that Liverpool's Shanice van der Sanden is out for up to two months after being injured in the warm-up to that frozen Chelsea game in WSL because of the pitch. Uh, surely some serious questions that we need to answer in light of this injury, Glenn. I think the fact that Liverpool are now down a player after someone got injured in the build-up to that game last week, that's raised even more questions, I think. And a very good player indeed, a former European Championship winner. Um, yes, we do come across these conditions quite often in the UK, but we don't come across these conditions with a tarpaulin on them and the burners and to see how that then affects. Basically, they're normally just called off at half past nine in the morning. So uh, it's it's a learning experience, uh, obviously very unfortunate for Liverpool. Um, we'll, we'll see how it develops. We, the undersaw for heating I know came up last week. Some clubs can afford it. In fact, Chelsea are one of them. Other clubs can't, and I think we're too early to suggest something. I think I was told it this week it'd be with twelve million pounds about undersaw heating in the whole WSL. Right. And whilst ideally you'd have it all, some clubs don't own the grounds they play at, like Arsenal, and also that twelve million pound you can fit quite a lot of other areas where it could be spent in the women's game. I do wonder what Liverpool will do next, given that they have had a player injured from that. We did speak about a lot of the the results of frozen pitches and what had to be done in last week's episode, if anyone wants to go and have a listen back. Jenna, I'm going to bring you in for Chelsea this week, though, and the fact that we saw the return to action of Melanie Leopold's three and a half months on from giving birth. Uh, Magda Eriksson has a column, and she's implied that there's a, a pelvic floor physio at Chelsea who's been working with her. So it sounds like she's had all the possible support she needs to get back and you really couldn't tell that she's been away no I mean it's incredible isn't it three months after giving birth it's um credit to her as a player um and also I think credit to Chelsea I think they're leading the way in this you know there's been a lot in the press over the last couple of years about female footballers pregnancies the support they get from their from their club I think it was only recently obviously Emma uh, Mitchell came out about the support that she's received from Reading um and I think Chelsea are doing it the right way. They've invested and to help her through that process and get her fit. And uh, yeah, I mean, she didn't look like she'd given birth three months ago, for sure. She um, no. put in a solid performance. And yeah, it's great to see her back on the pitch. 
It might have been the perfect warm-up as well for her to come back to WSL action as well. Glenn, you did mention these one-sided score lines. I will update people on the Aston Villa score as well. They put 11 past filed with four goals for Rachel Daly in that one. Uh, she just keeps scoring this season. Commiserations <laughs> to Sammy Rowland from Hashtag United. We spoke to her last week. Her side lost 4-0 to Coventry United. I think that brings us up to speed. And the FA Cup fifth round draw is on Monday evening after we record this show so look out for those Uh, the draw for the Conti Cup semi-finals has taken place already West Ham host Chelsea and Manchester City travel to Arsenal for those ones Glenn so these semi-finals taking place in London the final is also taking place in London at Selhurst Park do you think do you think we need to try and use other grounds around the country a bit more for these or do you think it's just availability for certain clubs and stadia I think availability, I mean, spoken to FA last year about staging the game at Power Lane, availability is quite a big factor. There are still not yet clubs banging down the doors demanding to stage these games to a large extent. Admittedly, yeah, they have been, I think, so Power Lane last year, uh, Watford, I think, was the year before, so they have tended to be in London. London is obviously the biggest population base in the UK by uh, by distance, with also the best transport links to the rest of the country uh, when they're actually working. Uh, and yeah, with the two of the top three teams that generally are in the final, I mean, Arsenal, Chelsea, what either one of those is normally the final most seasons, is based in London. So there's a certain amount of logic to it. If we're in a situation, I guess, where every year it is, you know, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool in the finals and fans are constantly trekking down to London, I think they're probably a bit more fuss made about it uh, as it is. But again, you still need to find a club that's willing to host the game. You know what I'm going to add into that? The Arnold Clark Cup. Uh, with the Lionesses, I was really underwhelmed with some of the venues that had been chosen for that. Given what had happened in the summer, it's a chance for fans to see the Lionesses. As far as I'm aware, is it is it Coventry's the most northern stadium mm. that's been chosen? And also, they were just a little underwhelming as venues anyway. I just thought they'd be packing out others. Did you feel like that, Jenna? Yeah, I did. But I think it goes back to when the planning goes in for these tournaments. I mean, I can't imagine it's lastminute.com. So I think it might have been in the pipeline for a while, long, maybe long before the success of the Lionesses and before they were selling out absolutely everywhere that they played. So I think it might that might be a factor in it. Probably. It's not the sexiest of opposition in terms of the tournament. And again, you come down to which clubs are prepared to stage it at a time of the year when there's a lot of pressure on those pitches for a lot of those games, a lot of those grounds. I mean, it's... Um, there's lots of matches going on, so it is a little bit harder to try and squeeze matches in. We will be coming on to Arnold Clark Cup business uh, in the next few episodes. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. The transfer window is about to close. Uh, deadline day is on Tuesday. We might still have transfers that go through after we record. But as it stands on Monday morning, as I'm with you both, Chelsea have reportedly bid for Katie McCabe at Arsenal, which we were all so surprised to, to read this. Apparently, Jonas Eidevall is saying there's no chance of that deal happening. Jenna, from your point of view, do you think that there needs to be more of a standoff between clubs when it comes to these transfers. I mean, the fact that even a bid was submitted from Chelsea for an Arsenal player, one of their key players, I just can't get over that they even tried it. I know, it's ballsy, isn't it? I mean, I've never, we've never experienced this in the female game where, you know, an Arsenal will go and approach a, a rival. But you can see why. But I think for me, Kate McCabe, I think she's Arsenal through and through, but then she's coming towards the end, you know, 18 months left on her contract. And it's a big, big, bold move by Chelsea. Um, it's obviously the first off has been declined. Will they go back? I, I think they might go back um, and, and try and smash smash the record to, to get their player. You can see why she's a quality player. She wears a heart on her sleeve. She's horrible to play against, but she's, she's also a versatile player that can play anywhere really on the pitch. So, you can see why Chelsea would want her, but yeah, it's a bold, bold move and something we've never seen before in the women's game. And I think maybe the timing as well that it's coming just, you know, so close to, to the deadline day may also affect it. But I think if Jonas Odeval has got to, anything to say, you know, he, he put a stop to it yesterday, didn't he, when he was yeah. asked? Absolutely no chance in it happening. Um, she's key for Arsenal, but yeah, massive twist, little plot twist there. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a, it's a cheeky move, but... Certainly in the men's game, increasingly happened with the women's game because a lot of the personnel involved in those agents are similar or you know, work for similar agencies. These moves don't tend to come out of nowhere. At some point, 
it's quite possible that Chelsea might have been given indication that the move, the plan might be interested. I'm not saying yeah, yeah, this might be an exception, but generally these moves don't just come completely out of the blue without some kind of encouragement. McCabe has been at Arsenal since 2015, so it has been some time. What I loved was how the women's football fraternity on social media then went to town. Did you see some of the the false rumours about Sam Kerr so she could link up with some Australian teammates at Arsenal? <laughs> so, yeah, it's it sort of t- took a turn after that. Any transfers that aren't big names that people should be excited about, do you think, Glenn? I think Jade Moore going back to Reading is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she was an absolute top player in her, in her time. We'll give them a valid experience. I mean, um, obviously, Kirsty Hansen's gone out for Manchester United and already started well at Villa, who, who've made some good signings. Emma Sanders was mentioned last night. Apparently, London City Lionesses are looking at Australia's Kyra Cooney Cross from Hammerby. Uh, she's a good player. I've seen quite a bit of Australia recently. Uh, Exxon midfielder scored a crucial winning goal in the championship final straight, straight from a corner in the 120th minute wow. against a current Australian keeper. And I guess you could say, I mean, Mel Lupo's is effectively a new signing for Chelsea in many respects. I mean, having been out for, for quite a long time and, and, and getting back to that, it can't be coincidental that obviously Chelsea's manager, Emma Hayes, has had a baby relatively recently and the club is adopted, adapted to having regular sort of the idea of having you know, babies and toddlers around the club on a relatively regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence, and that's an example of how, you know, this is a valuable player, valuable asset, you know, get them back in the park as quick as possible. I'm thinking, oh, God, she's pregnant, we can't, you know, what can, what can we do? Another rumour involves Chelsea, and that's for goalkeeper Nikki Everard, who's the, mm. the Belgium goalkeeper. I loved watching her, actually. I think she's been brilliant. So could we see any anything in this, any legs in this? I think it'll happen at the end of the season. Muzovic is in the team rather than Berger and when you look at the way Chelsea play it looks like particularly with Europe in mind Emma's looking to try and build more from the back rather than and Muzovic is much more comfortable with her feet so maybe she's looking at the whole change of the way goalkeeping I mean goalkeeping has, has changed dramatically in the last uh, five ten years mainly for the Guardiola effect in terms of goalkeepers having to be much better with their feet all those poor keepers who went in goal because they couldn't kick the ball you know, I find they have to learn. I think so. That I think that may well happen in the summer. Uh, and of course, he sees the um, bouncy, bouncy castle entrepreneur. So, oh yeah, I know. We love that story. That. We went to town on that, Glenn. The bouncy castle. Um, I mean, she could set up that business over here, couldn't she? No problem. <laughs> Everyone loves a bouncy Chelsea. castle at a children's party. If you do think that there are any other signings that we should have given more airtime to, you can get in touch using that hashtag I mentioned earlier, Athletic WFP. Any more signings that come in as well that we might not be able to do right now because they might come in in the final hours of the window that we can do next week. Do flag them to us. You are a specialist when it comes to young talent, Jenna. Um, You run Next Gen. You've been involved in the Spurs Academy as well. Uh, Can you tell us about Next Gen, what you're hoping to achieve with it and how you went about setting it up? Yeah, so it came about really during the first lockdown. So I was still playing at Tottenham at the time. I retired in July 2020, so we were still in in lockdown. And I'd been in talks with the club about the next step. And I was sitting with my partner. It kind of came out of nowhere. And we just had an idea of what I would want to give back to younger players that I never had growing up. Um, Obviously, the game's changed completely now to when I was a kid. And there were no girls' teams. There was no... You know, I had to play with my brothers, had to go and play with the boys at school. I couldn't just turn up to a training session like you can now and there's girls teams everywhere. Um, So it was during the lockdown and I decided to set up my new company, which was called Next Gen. And the aim was just to inspire the next generation of young players coming through, be it coaching, uh, mentoring, Q&As with them, going down to their clubs it started off all online and it was it just flew. Obviously, the kids couldn't get out on the pitches at the time. They were all stuck indoors. So I found myself on Zoom calls from like 4 p.m. up until about 10 p.m. every night. I was exhausted. So they might have been, you know, Zoom sessions just with a ball, just doing like trickery and ball skills, manipulating the ball. And all they really needed was a ball you know, in a cone. So anyone could take part in it. So that was really successful. And then obviously, once the lockdown rules were restri- restricted, I could get out on the grass with them. And I just go into local clubs and just try and give back everything that I've learned over the years, because obviously, I've seen the game from many different levels, played at every level from grassroots to semi-professional to professional. And I've done it all with, you know, the one club. So I felt like I had a lot. I've seen a lot. <laughs> I've learned mm-hmm. a lot. And I just wanted to 
give back and I just put myself in like the younger kids situations like how much I would have loved that as a kid really having access to someone that's been there done that and yeah just trying to give back really so yeah it's been going really well I think we're in our third year now excellent and the academy system that must have changed so much I know that you're you're embroiled with the Spurs Academy just for for Glenn and I and for everyone else who's wondering now how that looks the framework certainly at Spurs you can tell us I mean how many age groups are there now how often are they training? Do they get expenses paid? Because we know, obviously, when it comes to boys, they get a lot more than, than the yeah. girls do. Ha- has there been development there? Yeah, massively over at Tottenham. Obviously, our academy is quite new. We're in our third season now, really, compared to, you know, your Arsenal's, Chelsea's, who had their academy system set up a lot longer. Yeah. Um, so we start from our under-21s. So I'll start from the top. So it's um, under 16 to under-21s. That's our academy. And they play alongside yeah, Man United's, Chelsea's, Man's, every WSL team has an academy league and they play on Wednesdays. And it's it's full on. They're the best players in the country. We've uh, got a squad of 25. They train with us. They train with us Monday, Tuesdays. Their match day is Wednesday, so they'd be anywhere in the country on a Wednesday. And then they train again on a Friday. It's a big, big commitment. It's dual career, so they come out of their schools in the afternoons, they come train with us. Then obviously they've got to catch up on their education, strength and conditioning. They're in the gym three times a week, which is a bit of a game changer. Uh, for our academy kids, they were only in it once. It, we've been building up over the seasons because it's a struggle with facilities and things, but they're now in the gym three times a week. They're on the pitch. And the idea is that their programme matches the first team as much as possible so that if they do get the call up, that jump isn't so big for them and the difference isn't so big. Underneath that, we then have our under-16s and then we have our under-15s. So our under-16s are built up mainly of under-15s, so they're playing a year Mm -hmm. up. Above, yeah. Yeah, so we do it in that way. And our under-15s and 16s, they train twice a week, they have a gym session once a week and then they play their fixtures. So it's getting bigger and bigger and the commitment's more and more each season. I think from next season, it will be even more of a commitment. They'll be expected to do another grass session uh, under 21s. So they'll then be training four times a week. We already put in an extra match for them at the weekend. So it might be against a boys team, a college team, just to get that physicality for them um, Mm -hmm. and get ready for women's football. The pathway from the academy up to the first team, it's, it's really difficult the step is big also with you know the transfers coming in from abroad players coming in it's tough so we just have to kind of prepare our academy players for not really a plan b but they have to have another option be it you know maybe championship football or even in the third tier but we we um the skills that they learn with us they could take on anywhere, you know, university, they could go over to America. There's lots of options, but the step up is still still very big. On, on health, I was going to mention about the fact that gym work, because um, one of the things that Magda Erickson said in the piece was she feels the current generation of players, that their the bodies are more fragile because they didn't have that gym work and that fitness work when they were younger. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And like, I look at the girls in our academy now and compared to their performances this season, compared to last season when they're only in the gym once. This season they're in, you know, twice a week and they do their own home stuff. And their performances and their bodies have completely changed. So, and that's obviously down to the gym work that they're doing and and, and it transfers onto the pitch so quickly. So I definitely agree with that comment. I think the strength and conditioning side of it is just as big as, you know, your your pitch sessions, if not Mm. bigger. And hopefully a, a long-term effect well into their 20s, having built up that basis of strength. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And and can you see those age groups? You've talked about the, the sort of under-15s. Do you think that will eventually be under-9s? Will we get down that low? What we do at Tottenham, we have emerging talent, which is from under-10s to under-14s. Okay. So they would just get trained by Tottenham coaches once a week, and then they're on our radar so we know that they're there and then if they do have what it takes to be a Tottenham player, you know, on the pitch, off the pitch, then they will come into our under-15s. So that's how we tend to do it. And then they go off and they play with their local grassroots teams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, we're not taking every 
kid out of their grassroots environment. But I think at the minute, we're seeing a lot of success through our pathway from our under 16. So our academy last year, we had six under 16s go into our academy, which is brilliant. And that's what you want your pathway to be. Um, So hopefully, maybe fast forward five, six years, we might not have to go out and buy players because we've got the the players in our system to, to step up to the first team. Brilliant. We, we also had Ava and Patience on this show, um, a couple of young players that we spoke to quite a few weeks ago. And they were talking about how if you didn't get into an academy, it felt like there was no hope. I mean, you've touched on plan Bs and backups, but is that an area that you're really concentrating on? Because we know that in the women's game, it's going to be akin to the men's where it, it's going to be very, very fine margins of making it or and, and you'd be in a in a very small percentile. Yeah, I mean, the competition is, there's there's so much competition. I mean, when we have a trial at Tottenham, even at our kids' age for the 15, 16, we have over 300 girls applying, same for our academy. And, you know, our academy, not a lot of players graduate out because we recruit quite young. So we, we'll go for 16, 17-year-olds, and then we have them for five years to develop them. So the amount of players leaving, at the end, it's not a lot. So there might be one or two spaces that we've got available and then there'll be positions specific. So then we're getting 400 players applying, but we're actually not, we don't wow. need that many to strengthen. So it it is tough. It, it really is. And, you know, the Academy League is, is similar to the, obviously the WSL League. There's not many teams in there. So there's not a lot of players across the country that are in these academy setups. So I can see how it's very difficult for the players that don't get in. But you look at the championship now, that's set up for these young players, you know, that most of them are going full time. I think maybe it's half and half in the championship. So being in academy isn't everything. There are other options, you know, there's the championship, there's even the, the league below is getting stronger and stronger. So it's not, it, I wouldn't say it's the end of the world. Um, people have different routes in football. We see it with our academy all the time. There's players that go, like I said earlier, they go off to university in America or mm-hmm. they go into the championship. So there's lots of options, but it is, it is very difficult and it that the academy is really just elite players that they're, they're, they're fantastic and they have everything you know they have access to gyms nutrition everything that they're, they're just very well looked after and I don't think it's a surprise that we're seeing the players like Ella Toon and Georgia Stanway and Russo coming through because they're probably at the beginning they're the players that started in the academy yeah as it's developed and now we're seeing them so I think the future is looking really bright in terms of what will come out of these academy setups in the future yeah, and also making sure no one's left behind. And there has been this issue, hasn't it, with the academies being, you know, um, moving to our out-of-town sites with lots of grassy space and pitches and therefore losing those players in more centralised uh, areas, in more urban areas. And I think clubs are now looking... I mean, are you doing that generally in terms of satellite clubs for Spurs, s- satellite areas? So people who are going up, you know, near White Hart Lane rather than the ones out by the training ground. So easier in terms of transport and stuff like that. Yeah, so we've recently set up our emerging talent centres all over London. So they're not just in one area, which they were previously. So we now have a talent centre right by the, the stadium. We have one out near the training centre. So they are they are scattered and we have relationships with local grassroots teams as well. And our coaches will go into the grassroots teams. So we have those connections and, yeah, we're, we're building and we've still got a lot a, a long way to go. But as I said, we're still fairly new to it as well. This is our third season and we're, each year we're, we're getting bigger and bigger. So, well, Thank you for sharing some insight into that. Um, certainly, we'll be keeping an eye, an eye on the academies and how they continue to grow over the forthcoming seasons. Coming up this week, the WSL does return. Manchester United will try to stay top as they host Everton. Chelsea travel to Spurs and West Ham play Arsenal. Plus Liverpool host Reading. Bottom club Leicester face Man City. And Villa are taking on Brighton. Out of these games and all these fixtures, which ones are you looking forward to, Glenn? Leicester versus Manchester City is arguably the most interesting game because it's a, it's a really massive game for both of them. Um City obviously try to keep in touch with the top three. They're five points adrift if you assume Arsenal win the game in hand. Uh, Leicester under Willie Kirk have shown dramatic signs of, of coming to life, having been you know, assumed heading straight back for relegation. And if Leicester get a result in this game, it will make four teams above them very, very nervous and set up the end of the season 
be quite interesting at the bottom of the table as well as at the top of the table. Yeah, and we have to remember as well when it comes to the title, Man City dropped points, didn't they, last time out against Aston Villa in WSL. Uh, we will let Jenna pick up on the Beth England. Are we going to call it the Beth England derby from now on? I don't know. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, I'm, I'm feeling a lot more positive about this fixture now, just given the, the two performances that I've just watched in the Cup. I think it's... Both of their matches have been at home um, in front of the crowd. They've had a chance to build the connections. And I think especially yesterday where they were kind of in control of the game, it gave them a chance to express themselves. You could see the minute the first goal went in, the confidence on the players just lifted. And I think they've needed that. They've they've struggled. You know, they've had some tough, tough defeats in, in the WSL. I think now... Given a, a good week prep, they played Chelsea last week, so they'll know what to expect. And uh, it's just given them an extra week to build those, those connections with Abubuchi back in the midfield, and obviously Beth England up top. I think the chances for Tottenham will be far and few between, but what they do have is Beth England, who doesn't need very many chances. So I'm, I'm going to be positive with this one. Indeed, you played in the game, presumably Stanford Bridge when Beth smashed in that goal from about 30 yards. Yes, the, the only goal of the game. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> nice if she does it again, though. No? <laughs> yes, I'm hoping she does it again, for sure. Uh, you'll also have some Jen Beattie memories, Jenna. Um, we must mention the fact that she's announced her retirement from international football this week after 15 years and 143 caps with Scotland, including the 2019 World Cup, which I know meant the world to them to be part of that. What can you share with us about, about Jen Beattie? Well, I, to be honest, I'm a defender as well, so I've stayed far away from her on the pitch. But yeah, she's, I mean, she's a, a fantastic advocate for the women's game for her country. And I'm sure she's been flooded with, you know, messages that she thoroughly deserves. She's she's an absolute role model, you know, on and off the pitch. So yeah, congratulations to her for her career. But um, I'm sure she's still got lots to give for Arsenal. Mm. And we do see, Glenn, quite often now, the, the announcement comes that they retire from international duty before um, retiring altogether. Kim Little did this, didn't she? So she could focus on her Arsenal club career. And it sounds like Jen could be doing the same. It does happen increasingly. as It's such an demanding, increasingly demanding career now with the amount of matches being played. And I guess to, when you get to a certain stage where you've achieved or you think you're going to achieve international level or likely to achieve, and you, know, you concentrate on your club career, make the most of that, have a little bit more time to, to rest and recuperate on those international breaks. And she's obviously also got the benefit of her brother and father's experience in rugby and playing elite sport and, and gradually winding down a career rather than coming to a dead stop halt, which could obviously be a bit of a shock to, you know, to, to players. Yeah, you know, what next? I mean, you, you're saying, Jen, but you'd obviously been thinking about what next towards the end of your career. Not every player does. And it is obviously it's very hard to repl- replicate playing when you stop playing. It's another sign as well, isn't it, of where the game has come. The fact that preserving club career is becoming a priority because once upon a time, you'd have carried on playing internationally for as long as possible because the incentive to play at club level just wasn't there, whereas now it is. Yeah, I think obviously the demands of the game are are a lot different now and each year it's getting more and more demanding. And it it is tough, especially when you're coming to the later part of your career and you have to be a bit sensible and you know your body. Um, You've got to look after your body to ensure that you can play on as long as, as possible. And yeah, obviously maybe she's got one eye on retirement, but... Obviously, her short-term goal is get playing as long as possible for for a club, which is uh, yeah a wise move. Well, I think that's all we're going to have time for for this week's show. Thank you very much for joining us on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Jenna and Glenn. Thank you both for your time. Thank you. Enjoy thank it. Thank you. And thanks very much as well to producer Sophie and to you guys for listening. Please keep in touch on socials using that new hashtag AthleticWFP. Also, you can tag us in at The Athletic FC and at Offside Rule Pod. Until next time, goodbye. The Athletic.